Isn't that great to stand with a heart abandoned? Amen. Amen. Well, I tell you, it's, has this been good going through these parables? How many of you, like me, never understood that I could never understand why that manager who was such a crook got praised by the owner? Do, any of you guys like that? I'm thinking, oh, this is awesome. So, so you know, I, we're going to be in the parable of the sower. It's going to be uh, Matthew 13. I love this one. You know why I like it so much? He explains it. <laughs> I don't have to figure it out. I just have to tell you guys what Jesus says. You know, Doug shared a few weeks ago that a parable is a story that comes alongside the truth to illustrate the truth and help us see it more clearly. And so as we go through the parables, that's one of the things that Jesus is trying to do is to paint a picture so that we understand what he's saying. Parables were used by Jesus to really show the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. And also a lot of the Old Testament stuff that's been taught. He wants to be able to contrast that so people recognize it. And with this particular one, Jesus is trying to show really two main things. One, he wants to paint a picture describing what the kingdom of God is like. And two, he wants to thin the herd. See, and we'll, we'll kind of get into this, but there was, he was starting to get quite a following of people who liked their ears being tickled. They loved to see miracles. They, they really loved the excitement of what was going on. And he wanted to thin that out so that as he ministered, he was able to find those people and minister to those people that really wanted to know God, really wanted to follow God, and really wanted to understand what the kingdom was all about. And so we'll kind of see that as we go through this. You know, Doug shared a few weeks ago when he talked about the kingdom of heaven, and, and he, he said this, he goes, the kingdom of heaven is, is eternity, right, where, where God reigns eternal. But he also said that the kingdom of heaven was anywhere where Jesus was king, right? And he talked about the fact that when, when we give our lives to Christ and he comes and makes his home here in our hearts, we are the kingdom of God because the king dwells within us. And, and as we go through this, peril, this parable, I want us to see it from that context. So we're going to be in, John, in uh, Matthew 13. If you go to John 13, you will not have a clue what I'm talking about. Matthew 13, we're going to start with verse 1. That day Jesus went out from the house and was sitting by the sea, and large crowds gathered to him. So he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them. Others fell on rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Then he says, he who has ears, let him hear. So let's go through this real quickly. So Jesus has come out, and he's going to the Sea of Galilee. On the Sea of Galilee, there's fields all over the place. And so the people that were there understood what he was talking about because they understood farming. They had seen it. If they hadn't done it, they'd seen it. They, they were able to witness it because really a lot of them to get from one place to another walked through the fields. 
which really explains what Jesus was talking about when he said the first time when the farmer throws the seed, it's on hard ground. And we'll go through that because here's the thing. Jesus is painting this picture of this, this, this sower of seeds, okay? He's in the field. The field's plowed. So he's got these furrows plowed up and down the field. The field is typically kind of a narrow field, long furrows, and around the field are paths. People could walk, the farmer would walk around on the paths. People that needed to get from one place to another, whether by foot or on their animals, would walk through these paths to get through the fields to get where they're going. You following me? So this path, so as the, as the sower is sowing seed, he's got a, a bag that he's got on his hip, he grabs some seed, and he sows the seed, and he grabs some more seed, and he sows the seed, and he walks up the hill, and he wants to make sure that he sows every piece of field he can. So as he's doing that, and he's casting fe- the, the, the seed over by where the path is, some of it's going to fall on the path. And so he's just going to keep sowing. When he gets to the end, he's going to turn around, he's going to move over, and he's going to start doing the same thing. When he gets to the end, he's going to make sure he sows all the way to the end, which means some is going to fall on the path. So Jesus is saying that it falls on that path, and the birds come down, and they eat it. And if you've ever, you know, driven through Owens Valley or anything, you know, you see like 10,000 birds up on the phone poles and on the lines, and they're all there waiting for the seed. So that's a, that's a farmer's dilemma. That's why they came up with scarecrows and all that kind of stuff. So Jesus explained, and that's the first thing, is the sower sowing falls on the, hard, on the hard path, and then the birds come and eat it up. Was never able to produce any fruit, never actually gets into the cell, never does anything. Then he says, some seed fall along the, um, the rocky soil. And I always had this mental picture of, you know, the, you know the, this big pile of rocks someplace and the guy threw the seeds. And I'm going, what the heck would he even throw seeds in there for? Well, as I've studied, what, what this is referring to, and all the people in Palestine in that area understood this, is Palestine was, was um, famous for, for its limestone. It, 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 under the soil would be this limestone rock that the farmer would have no idea where they were. So he would plow his field, and underneath the field a little bit would be this, these limestone slabs that would be there. He wouldn't know. So as he's sowing his seed, what happens is the seed that's over those rocks will go down into the rock or down into the soil. It starts to grow. It's getting the water and the nutrients, but it, it can't go any deeper. So instead of using the nutrients to go deeper with the roots, it, it pushes the nutrients back up into the plant. So the seed actually sprouts faster. It's got leaves everywhere. It's looking like a bumper crop. But because there's no nourishment coming from the, from the, the roots, as soon as the sun comes out, it gets hot. The moisture starts leaving the plant. It has nowhere to recapture the moisture, and it withers and dies. Okay? It's the second one. The third one is the thorns. So he says, you know, they, as he's casting the seed, there's some part of his field that he didn't get all of the roots of the thorns out or the weeds. And so as he's casting the seed out there, then as it starts to grow, the, the weeds will grow up along with the seed. And if you've ever seen a weed, it just goes crazy and it just chokes out the seed so that it either grows over it so it can't get any green or it goes around it and it just chokes it out. So that's the third thing Jesus talks about. And then the last thing he talks about is good soil. Okay, so he says, hey, some of the soil is good and it produces a great crop. And so you get some 100, some 60, some 30. So to sum it up, 
Some of the weeds fall on the hard path, can't germinate, gets picked up by the birds. Some seed falls on rocky soil. It allows it to germinate, it starts springing up, but doesn't have any depths of root. The sun scorches it and it dies. Some seeds fall on soil and the roots of the thorns come up, choke it out because it can't survive, and then some soil on good land and bears fruit. And he says, those of you that can figure out what I'm saying, listen to what I'm saying. Pay attention. Okay? That's the easy part. The disciples come to him now in, in verse 10, and they come to him and they say to him, why are you speaking in parables? And part of it is they're going, huh? What, what, what are you doing? This is like, duh, Jesus. And before we really get into the rest of this, I, wanna, I want us to look at this, this, this passage in context because at the beginning of this passage, it says that that day Jesus went out of the house. That day is the same day as, as chapter 12. So when you go home over lunch, read chapter 12. Okay, because chapter 12 helps, helps explain chapter 13, and we're not going to read it because you guys would be here too late and I would get in trouble and all that kind of stuff. So I want to tell you what it says, and then you can read it and uh, see if I'm right. So first thing that happens in chapter 12 is his disciples are walking through the field. So they're on the path, the hard path, they're walking through the field, and as they're walking through the field, they're taking grain from the crops that are growing along the field, and they're eating them because they're hungry. And so when Jesus gets to the synagogue, the Pharisees and scribes go, you know, we noticed your disciples were eating the grain and the field. Why are you letting them work on the Sabbath? They can't do that on the Sabbath. I thought you were a rabbi. I thought you were a man of God. Why are you allowing your disciples to disobey the law? So Jesus has this conversation with these Pharisees. He says, you guys do know about David, right? When David was going and he went to the priest and they gave him food on the Sabbath. And do you know that you guys, the priests in the temple on the Sabbath get to do certain things? And he says this, he goes, something greater than the temple's here. That's what he tells them, just so they're getting the picture. Because you're concerned about the Sabbath and all that? Well, something greater than the temple is right here in your midst. And then he said this, he says, but if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the innocent. So here's what happens in chapter 12. The Pharisees are trying to accuse Jesus. Later on in that same chapter, he goes, in, he goes into um, the synagogue and there's a man with a withered hand. And so the, the Pharisees again wanting to accuse Jesus says, hey, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So Jesus has this conversation again with them about what the Sabbath is all about. And basically, you'll have to read it. He goes, yep, it's okay. And he heals the guy. So the people are watching this. And they're pretty pumped, man. Jesus is taking out the Pharisees, man. This dude's bad. You should see they can't handle him. And then he goes out and it says in verse 15 of chapter 12, it says, and he healed them all. I read that, I go, really, all of them? So however many people were there, whatever needed to happen, Jesus healed them all. So there's this crowd of people that are starting to follow him. And it says that he went back into the synagogue, he went back to this house that he just came out of, and it says he heals a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute. 
And all the crowds were amazed when they see this. And here's what they say. This man cannot be the son of David, can he? Ooh. So is this guy really the guy that's going to save us and wipe out Rome and all that kind of stuff? And the Pharisees were, would have nothing of it. So then they go, no, he's not the son of David. He's, he's, Satan is using him to do this stuff. And then Jesus has this conversation about, well, will, will the enemy really do battle against each other? And would he do this to ruin this? That doesn't even make sense. So he refutes all that stuff. So this is the context of where Jesus is coming out. So Jesus just dealt with the Pharisees. And then he's got this crowd that just are all, they're, they're just the fan base. They swoon when he walks by. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I mean, just crazy. And he comes out and they're all there. By the Sea of Galilee. He can't even get through. So he gets in a boat and he pushes off and he's sitting there. Pharisees always sat when they taught, or leaders. And he's sitting there in the boat. My understanding is that you, you get out on the water and as you talk, it bounces off the water and really amplifies what you're saying. So if ever you're at a lake and you're out with somebody and you're kind of out there talking and you start talking about the person on the shore, <laughs> just, just saying. <laughs> you either better really whisper or have that conversation somewhere else. So, so that's the context of where they are when Jesus, when the, Pharisee, when the disciples come to Jesus and say, why are you talking in parables? So here's Jesus' answer first before he even talks about the parable. He says to them in verse 11, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever, whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even when he has, shall be taken away from him. Now, I don't know about you, I read that and go, that's messed up right? But then he explains it. He says, therefore, I speak to them in parables because while seeing, they do not see. And while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. And then he, he, then he explains it even more because this is how the people of Israel have been. So Isaiah was dealing with this. And he says, in the case of the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, you will keep on hearing, but you will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but you will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears, they scarcely hear, and they have, been, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart and return. And I would heal them. But then he says to the disciples, blessed are your eyes because you see and your ears because they hear. And then he says this, which is really powerful. He says, for truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men to desire to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. See, prophets were saying the Messiah's coming. Prophets would love to see the fulfillment of what they've been prophesying thousands of years ago and they didn't get to see it and you get to sit in the midst of it and yet there's people here who see it and don't see it who hear it and don't hear it because their ears have become dull and they don't want to see and they don't want to hear and then he starts explaining the parable so in the context of these hard-hearted pharisees and this crowd that is going to be thinning out that are just 
that are just following him because he's exciting, he's powerful, he's popular, he heals people, he does awesome stuff, he can do stuff for us, he can take care of us. It's all about what's in it for me. And he wants to help the disciples understand how this works. And so he says, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away that which has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom the seed was sown beside the road. So we look at Jesus now starting to um, explain the parable. And so as we get into it, I just want to share a couple of things. Um, one, there's only three components to this parable. It's pretty simple. Doug has always been saying there's one main message, and we're going to get to the main message. It's not an allegory. It's a parable. So there's one main message. All this stuff doesn't mean different stuff. There's a sower, there's a seed, and there's a soil. He doesn't say much about the sower, does he? He says, there was a sower sowing seed. That's it. Done. He's done. I'd hate to be the sower, man. I didn't even get my name mentioned. And then he says, there's a seed. It's, it's, it's the seed. It's the word of the kingdom. So he's talking about one seed. We're not going to say, well, yeah, there's a lot of bad seed. I mean, you listen to this guy, the televangelist, he's sowing a different seed. And you listen to this guy, he's sowing. No, Jesus is talking about when the seed of the kingdom, the word of the kingdom is proclaimed, that's the seed. Are you with me? So it's very simple. There's a sower, there's a seed. And then he talks about the soil. So um, in this, Jesus wants us to begin to understand um, the context of what he's talking about. Now, many people, when they hear the word of the kingdom, are thinking that Jesus is talking about evangelism. That if you just sow the seed and if you just are, are sharing the Lord with people, that, that you're going to have a hundredfold, you're going to have sixtyfold, and all this is about how the hearts are of the non-believer as you're trying to talk to them. But that's not what this is all about. The word of the kingdom isn't just the word that's presented to people who don't know Jesus. It's the word of the kingdom. The kingdom is all of what Jesus is about. And so if it's about all that Jesus is about, guess who that includes? Welcome to the party. It's us. Certainly as those people who don't know Jesus, but it is also us. The seed that is being cast, that's being sown, also lands on, on, on us. And so Jesus talks about um, it landing on the heart of, the, of the, the person when he talks about the hard-packed ground. He says this, which is interesting. He says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown, where? In his heart. In his heart. So Jesus is talking about the heart of man and whether the heart of man is open to what God wants to do, whether that heart is somebody who doesn't know him yet or whether that heart is somebody who wants to follow him, who's seeking to follow him and wants to do what's right with him. And so all three of these or four of these are, are him talking about what kind of soil do we have and what is the soil of the heart. And the first one, he says, it, it can't penetrate because the heart is hardened. And it could be that it's hardened because somebody doesn't know Jesus and they go, I, don't, I wouldn't believe in a God who does this or says there's only one way to heaven. And I can't believe in a God that would say that person doesn't get to go to heaven because they have that lifestyle. Or I don't believe in a God that would allow all this suffering to happen. Or I don't, I don't believe in a God fill in the blank. 
And because of that, they're, they're not open to anything that they, that, to listen about God. Their heart is hardened. And they don't want to receive anything. But there are some people who have a relationship with God who have gone through hard times and they've, they've hardened themselves. Man, I, I can't take this anymore. I'm just going to shut down. I don't want any more pain. I don't want any more suffering. So I'm not letting anything penetrate my heart. I'm just going to... I'm just going to close it down, and it just gets harder and harder and harder. And when the Word of God comes and wants to penetrate, they go, nope, not taking it. Nope, not, nope, nope, nope. Hurts too much. It's too frustrating. It's too hard. I'm not, I'm not going to let it penetrate. And so the seed never gets to germinate. It never grows. And Satan comes, Jesus says, and he just snatches it up. And he has a lot of ways that he snatches it up, doesn't he? He can do it by just influencing false teachers. No, that's really not the real gospel. This is a real gospel. This is a Jesus you need to follow. But he also could do it just by having you be afraid of people. Man, what would somebody say if I, just, if I started to do this? How would people, what would they say? It could be pride. No, he's not telling me what to do. It could be doubt. I don't know. I don't know if I can do this. There, there's ways that Satan is going to come and snatch his word before we even get going. Could be our own stubbornness. Could be our procrastination. There's a lot of things that we could do that keeps us from walking with Jesus. It could just be as simple as, you know what? What God is saying doesn't seem fair. It just doesn't seem right that that's the way God thinks should, things should be. I, I'm, not, I'm not receiving that. So I don't think it's fair that I need to be this way when they're that way. Why should I love that person when they're acting that way? And so we just say, no, I'm not, I'm not receiving it. And, and it's so subtle that it happens. I mean, maybe you have, have done this, but I've sat down with people and I've, and I've had conversations with them, people who know Jesus. And I share with them scripture and I share with them how scripture applies and, and what the concerns are and stuff. And, and they say, well, I, I know, but, but I don't think that verse applies to me. <laughs> really? Well, I, I didn't see the footnote that says does not apply to Harry. But, but we do that, don't we? Or, or they'll go, you know, I, I know that this is what God tells me to do, but you know, I have a real peace about this. You know, this is my real soulmate, this one. And I know God doesn't, does, doesn't want this to, but you know, I just have a peace that this is the right decision. <sighs> And the seed falls and we just go, no. Or, like I said other, you know, we just may think, you know, God wouldn't do that. That's not, that's not what God's like. Well, yeah, it is. <laughs> that's what Scripture says. That's who God is. So you see, even as a, like a non Christian, somebody who doesn't know Jesus yet, they can be so hardened to the gospel. Sometimes those of us that know Jesus will allow ourselves to become hardened to the truth as well. And as a result, we don't bear fruit. We're fruitless. So Jesus says that. Then he says the second one, as we continue to go through this explanation of the passage, he goes, the one whom seen was sown in the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. 
And this was the crowd that he was talking about. They were all excited about him. All the things that he was going to do. But they didn't understand what lordship was all about. They didn't understand what Jesus was really calling them to. But they loved the excitement. They loved to come to church and say, oh, stand up. God will never let you down, never let you down. You get halfway home and your car breaks down. He let me down. See, it's so easy to get excited about some of this stuff and so hard to apply it. so hard to understand what it is. Jesus says, Jesus doesn't say, Jesus says, when affliction and persecution hits. He doesn't say if it hits. He says when it happens. They can't handle it because they want the God that's going to take care of them. They want the God that is, that's the what's in it for me, God. All they have to do is say, God, I need this, I need this, I want this, I want this, and here's how I want it to happen. That's the God they want. And God says, that's not the God who I am. You need to understand the God who I am. And see, here's what happens. We, we have hearts, right? The soil, Jesus is pretty clear, is our heart. And here's the challenge. The seed gets to my heart, and it starts to go into my heart, and you know what happens? It goes, oh, <laughs> attitude, no, 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 no. There's this rocky plate there. You're not going into my attitudes. No, <laughs> you're not changing that. Oh, my thought life? No, sorry, sorry, no, 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 we're not going there. Oh, how I work, how I behave at work and my ethics and my integrity. No, 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 not there. Oh, my relationships, my sex life. No, no, not there. And, and so, so we've laid this, 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 this rock barrier over our heart. So it penetrates down to a certain place. And then we say, do not enter. You can't go there, Jesus. You can't go there. And so what ends up happening is when we face tough decisions, when we face situations where we really have to rely on what the Word of God says and walk in obedience to the Word of God, we go, no, I want nothing to do with that. And all of a sudden, we wither away. And we bear no fruit because there's no access. There's no place where the Word can get to to penetrate in our hearts in a way that's transformational. We saw that in chapter 6 of, of John. If you go and read the chapter in John, in John, in John 6, Jesus is talking to this mass. It says there's 5,000 men. If there's 5,000 men, there's a pretty good chance there's 5,000 women. If there's 5,000 men and women, there's probably 25,000 kids. So, so there was a lot of people there. And there was no food. And his disciples say, send them away. There's no food. He goes, you feed them. And they go, right. We don't have any food. He goes, well, what can you find? Well, we got this kid. He's got a basket. He's got a couple of fish and some biscuits. He says, well, give it to me. This will do. <laughs> and he starts handing it out, right? And he feeds them all. And these people are going, this is unbelievable. This guy is unbelievable. And so Jesus leaves, goes across the lake. They run around to, feed, to get him on the other side. And then he leaves and they come around and find him again. And he goes, okay. Because they thought, man, this is the best welfare state I've ever seen. I mean, this guy's just going to feed us all the time. We don't have to work. We don't have to do anything. We just have to find him. So then he starts talking to him, and he starts talking to him about who he is and what it means to follow him. 
And what it means if you die to yourself and there's going to be sacrifice, you're going to have to eat my, blood, my body and drink my blood. And they're going, this guy is weirded out. By the end of John 6, people left. They're gone. Because there's a difference between a, a Jesus that will feed me and give me everything I want and a Jesus that says, I want to be Lord of your life and I want you to follow me in obedience. We don't want that Jesus, do we? See, I want a Jesus that says, yes. I know that you'll never let me down. And here's five ways I know you will never let me down. If you just do this, 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 and this. And by the way, here's how I want you to do it. With this one, here's three things. With this one, here's four things. That's a Jesus we want. And then when the roots come down and all of a sudden we face situations where we have to make decisions based on the word of God. We have to make decisions that have integrity, that are morally strong, that are morally right, that serve people. We go, no, I don't want that. There's a rock barrier there. You're not getting there. And then we find ourselves not bearing fruit. See, Jesus is thinning the herd because the crowd hears that and go, yep, we're not going there. This is too difficult. This is too hard. See, what ends up happening when we have that kind of a, of a deal in our lives is that we stop struggling with our sin. And, 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 and because we become so comfortable with it, we actually start defending it and justifying it. And then we just set up camp there. And before we know it, we're just living the life and there's no fruit being born because we've, we haven't allowed the word of God to penetrate our heart to a point where transformation happens and where God is really able to bear fruit through us and in us. So the second one, the shallow soil. So are you liking Jesus yet? Yeah, I had to study this thing for a long time. I didn't really like it all that much either. And so then he goes on and he says, um, he who has, uh, where are we? And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is a man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So now Jesus is talking about a different thing. It's not, it's not just that the, that the roots aren't able to penetrate. The roots are actually able to penetrate. But the problem is that where they are, there happens to be thorns. There happens to be weeds. Now, I don't get it. I mean, I, I can fertilize my lawn. I can put weed killer on my lawn. I can do anything. But you know, if I don't water my lawn for three days, it dies and the weeds grow. I don't understand. It would make sense that the, that the weeds would die at least with the lawn. I don't get how they do that. But the weeds just flourish. So Jesus is painting this picture that, 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 that there are places where there's going to be thorns that grow up. And he says that um, the, this is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world, the deceitfulness of wealth, choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So Jesus starts talking about just three things, really, in, 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 in uh Luke 8, he talks about worldly pleasures also, but the worry of the world, deceitfulness of wealth, and worldly pleasures come and begin to choke out the relationship that we have with God. And this, this, this is a process now because the soil, the soil produces seed and it produces weed. It doesn't have to happen instantly. It's much slower than the, than the, the seed that grows up in shallow, shallow soil. 
And the interesting thing that Jesus says that I thought was interesting, he says the deceitfulness of sin. The deceitfulness of riches, I mean. It's a deceitful thing because we begin to follow the Lord. We begin to walk in obedience. We begin to understand what his word is. And then slowly, we begin to make little compromises on how we do things. Little compromises on how we view things. See, there's nothing wrong with having some concerns. The worry of the world, to some degree, is not a bad thing. I mean, it's not a bad thing to make sure that you're putting oil in your car, that you have enough money to pay your bills, to do the things that you need to do, to be concerned about the things that you need to do so that you can get the things done that you need to get done. There's nothing wrong with thinking, you know, I probably need to be smart and save for my retirement. I need to make sure that I live within my means and I'm not buying stuff that I can't afford. I need to make sure that, you know, the things that I'm doing, I'm taking care of the things I have. There's nothing wrong with having money, with having some wealth. I actually like the fact that I can get in my car and drive here instead of walking here. It's just, just my preference. But I like that. I like the fact that I can put on clothes that, that are presentable, that, that I have things that I can use. The, the issue is not whether we have wealth. It's not whether we live in the world. It's not whether we have any kind of worldly pleasures. What he is saying is the deceitfulness of those things creep in and begin to choke out our fruitfulness. See, it's not whether I have those things. The question is, do those things have you? See? It's a big difference. See, when I have those things and I know those things belong to Jesus and I know that they are things that he's given me to use for his glory and they're his and I, he, he can take them back anytime he wants, that's one thing. When those things are mine and the decisions that I'm making are determined by those things, when God becomes secondary to those things and I start making spiritual compromises because of those things, those things begin to choke out my relationship with God. And it's a subtle thing that happens. It's deceitful. When I start making decisions based on whether I'm going to benefit materially from that, when I make decisions whether that's going to help me be more worldly comfortable, whether I'm going to be more recognized, whatever it is, it's a subtle thing that begins to creep into my life where that becomes more important and I measure my relationship with God based on how it impacts these things. I don't see it as things that God has given me to be used for his glory. See the difference? It's deceitful. And we get there and we look around and say, what happened? Well, we got sucked into the deceitfulness of riches and the worries of the world and the worldly pleasures. And when those things begin to dominate us and they begin to control how we think and what we do, it slowly squeezes the spiritual life out of us. And we spend more time worrying about those things than we do building a relationship with Jesus. And then Jesus kind of ties it all together and he says, um, and the one on whom seed is sown in the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some 60, and some 30. It's a good news. That's good news. 
It's a person who hears it, he accepts it, it's able to penetrate deep down into the soil of our heart, of our spirit. God is able to work in us, it softens us. And you know, not all of us produce the same fruit, the same amount of fruit, because we don't have anything to do with how much fruit gets produced, do we? We just have a responsibility to make sure that our hearts are right so that when God sows or when it's sown, that we can produce fruit. So as you look at this passage, there really isn't a whole lot of discussion about the sower. There's really no discussion about the seed except for that it's the word of God. So the sower sows the seed. The seed is the word of God. There's a lot of discussion about the soil and the issue of the soil. So here's the thing I want us to get out of this. The one main point that Jesus is making is the condition of the soil determines the ability to produce fruit. Okay, that's good news in a bunch of different ways. One thing is, is that you as a person are responsible to cast seed. Okay, in this parable, Jesus is making it clear that it's the seed of God, not some false gospel, not some garbage. It's the seed of the, of, of the word of God, okay? So we know that it's good seed. And our responsibility is to cast the seed. And if we're talking to somebody that doesn't know Jesus, and we're casting the seed, that's our job. We can't prepare a heart. We can't make the seed grow in a heart. And so often, don't we, we talk to somebody that we love and that we care about and the seed just doesn't germinate and we go, oh my gosh, if I could just say the right things, I must not be full of spirit. I must not be doing it right. It's got to be the wrong illustrations. Oh, if I could just ask Pastor Doug to come, I'm sure that he can make that soil better. No, he can't. So it's freeing when we know that we did whatever we could do to sow seed. It's all, that's all we can do is cast the seed. Whether it's, whether it's a, a non-believer or a believer, because we're responsible with each other, that's part of why we come together as a body, is that we get to share together, we get to share scripture together sitting outside in between services talking to somebody and was able to share with them scriptural truth about what it's like to have a relationship with God, not these rules and regulations and God's always standing up there waiting for you to make a mistake so he can crap. You know, it's, that's not who our God is. And so to just share scripture and how our God is a loving God who wants us to grow and who wants us to have a great relationship with him, who wants us to be transformed. And sometimes he will help us grow by a little bit of discipline but it's because he loves us, not because he just loves punishing us. Sometimes we think that all God wants to do is just punish us all the time. That's not who God is. So able to share that with each other so that we can grow together. But really, the condition of the soil is what is going to determine the ability to produce fruit. And so for me and for you, the first thing that needs to be a priority is that the soil is right. We need to go, Lord, is there, are there any place? Do I have a hard heart that is just not letting you penetrate? Are there areas of my life where I've just shut you off and said, this is not your business? I'm not letting you tell me what to do in this part of my life. Have I allowed things to grow in my life that are more important than you? 
that are hindering me from walking in obedience to you. Because if any of those things are happening, there's a potential that you are not going to be able to bear fruit. And this is such a critical thing because what is Jesus talking about? Bearing fruit. That's it. We get so caught up in rules and regulations and things that we have to do and do's and don'ts and all that stuff. And the reality is he just wants us to be people who bear fruit. See, here on earth, there's very few things that we can do here that we cannot do in heaven. Okay? One thing is, is that that we can only be a light in the midst of darkness here. There's no darkness in heaven. There's no lost people in heaven. We can only be a light for lost people here now. We can only impact the kingdom for lost people here now. When we get to heaven, there are not going to be any unsaved people. So, so that, this is the only time we get to do that. And I think this is the only time where we get to be people who are bearing fruit. In heaven, we're going to be complete. We're bearing fruit here. Jesus wants us to be people who understand that there's just a short window of time that God can use us to bear fruit. And if we're hardening our heart, if we're, allowing the, we're not allowing his word to penetrate, if we're allowing other things to grow up and choke us out, we are not going to bear fruit and we're not going to be fruitful people in, 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 impacting the kingdom in a positive way. This is the only time we get to impact eternal, eternity. It's the only time. And we get so caught up in this amount of time that we got to... And he goes, do you know how short that is? And do you know how long eternity is? Do you know how messed up this is? Do you know how good eternity is? What are you doing? So you're going, well, what the heck is fruit? I'm glad you asked that question. It's a great question. So here are some things... Six things regarding fruit that I think might be helpful. One, Romans 1, 13 says the soul winning is a fruit. So we talked about casting seed and, and helping people see that Jesus loves them. That's a fruit. We need to be doing that. This is the only time we get to do that. So I would do it all the time. You know what? You don't know the heart of the, of the, the person. Jesus says man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. We don't know what the heart is. We just need to cast the seed. We don't have, it's not our job to, to, to make the heart right. It's our job to speak truth. It's our job to have the, 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 the word go out. So just cast it. Don't be responsible for the results. Be responsible for the casting. Romans 15, 26 to 28 says that giving is a fruit. And not just giving financially, just being somebody who gives. When we give, it's a fruit. It's a way that, we're, that people are seeing Jesus in us. It's a way that the fruit of what God's doing in our heart gets manifested. In Galatians, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, faithfulness, joy. It's who we become. The fruit of the Spirit that manifests in us as the Word of God germinates in our hearts. God becomes loving, more loving through us. God becomes more faithful through us. God allows us to be people who are more long-suffering. God allows us to be a people who experience joy. 
and others see that fruit being produced in us, and they see us as being different. Colossians 1, verse 10 says that good works is a fruit. So often people go, I don't, I don't have any fruit. I, I'm not, I can't get up and talk like that, and I can't go talk to people. I'm too shy. But that person's out there cleaning up the patio, serving food all the time, working in the kitchen, working out there serving coffee, working out here telling people where the bathrooms are and all that kind of stuff. That's bearing fruit. Good works is fruitful. And it's necessary for the body of Christ to reflect Jesus. See, Jesus doesn't have elevations of fruits. Good fruit, not so good fruit, great fruit, not so great fruit. I mean, it's fruit. It's like the gifts. They're all vital for the growth of the body. Hebrews 13 says, sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips. I love coming and singing out of tune at the top of my voice here. Just a confession. Why do I sit closer to the front? So less people have to suffer. That's just how it is. But I love it. I love just praising God. It's the fruit of the lips. Mine is definitely a joyful noise. But I love the fruit. And then the last one, Philippians 1.11, talks about the fruit of righteousness. The fruit of having a right relationship with Jesus. There is nothing more freeing than to know you have a right relationship with the creator of the universe. <laughs> and that you can trust the creator of the universe with all the stuff that goes on in your life. You don't have to like it. You don't have to understand it. You just have to trust it. And submit to it. See, Jesus is thinning the herd because he's starting to talk to people about submission. And we don't like that. See, we don't want a God that we actually have to submit to and that we actually have to serve and that actually is going to be Lord of our life. We want a God that we can tell what to do and how to do it. And Jesus is thinning the herd, telling them, man, you guys have to understand that the condition of your soul is what's going to determine whether you have a right relationship with me. If you want to look at some other passages, Hebrews 12 talks about the fruit of righteousness. James 3 talks about the fruit of righteousness. But Jesus really is saying the purpose for us being here is to bear fruit. And there are things that keep us from bearing fruit. And my challenge and encouragement to you is don't allow that stuff to keep you from being a fruitful servant of the living God. There's nothing better than being somebody used by God to bear fruit. And the enemy wants to keep that from happening to whatever degree he can. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for being our God and for your love for us, for your desire and commitment that we understand more clearly how to walk with you, um, to allow you to be the one who directs us, who leads us, and that, Father, we know that all of those things are for your glory, for your kingdom, to do a work that would benefit your kingdom for your purposes. So use us and allow us to submit to you in the midst of that. And we just give you the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.